Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. It's good to see you this morning. If you, if you have your Bible, open it to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's, this is a great narrative to preach. It's one of my favorite uh, narratives in the Old Testament. Um, and we're not going to read all the verses that we're going to cover, but we're going to throw you in to a few spots where you can jump in and see the text. But you, you may want to read sort of, uh, if, especially if you love to read, you probably grew up in school reading uh, ahead of the teacher or, or reading something different than what the teacher was teaching on. How many of you kind of grew up that way? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to get in trouble for reading in school. Isn't that weird? Um, reading in school, when you're supposed to be taking a math class and you got a novel out you know, on your lap, under the desk, that kind of thing. I see nobody shaking their head with me this morning. That's depressing. First Kings chapter 18. Uh, it's not what you think this morning as we look into uh, this great battle that Elijah wages here in First Kings 18 and 19. I want us to see some truths from his life and some ministry, but first I want to I want to set the table for uh, what's going on in the life of Elijah. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, King David uh, took over the rule of God's people when he was about 30 years old after King Saul. He was about 30 years old, um, roughly um, uh, in, in uh, 970 BC. That's when his reign finished, King David, when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel was unified and then, of course, Solomon comes along, and then under Solomon's sons, it divides into two. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. One of the kings over the northern kingdom of Israel was Ahab, and he had a wicked wife named Jezebel. Never ever, parents, grandparents, never grandparents let your children name your granddaughter Jezebel, okay? That is not a good lady to be named after. I don't know if I would go with Ahab either for a grandson, but never Jezebel for a granddaughter. If you know somebody named Jezebel, I'm sorry. They should have read the Bible before they named the child. And so I just wanted to make that clear this morning. So Ahab reigns over the northern kingdom from about 871 BC until about 852 BC. He steps right into that kingdom's rule in the middle of Elijah's ministry. Now, just to get some more class participation here, since I caught nobody at the beginning, how many of you have heard of Elijah? Elijah. Most of us this morning have heard of Elijah. Let me tell you my favorite story from 1 Kings 18. So in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, God tells Elijah it's not going to rain for, for, for three, and a half, three, three and a half years. All right? So we're three years into that. And we're into the reign of Ahab about, I don't know, 12 or 15 years, give or take. And, and Ahab, but especially Jezebel, have, have pushed the worship of the Baals, plural, 
the Baal gods. I can't remember the name of the Baal that her was her, her primary Baal. She's pushed the worship of the Baal gods and of Asherah to the point that she's got and is taking care of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And they're into this drought that's been going on for almost a little over three years. And Elijah, who's kind of been hiding out, and it probably, as we'll see in a location in a minute, Mount Carmel, he's probably been hiding out in a cave, a grotto, up on Mount Carmel, which is about 17, 1800 feet above the Mediterranean Sea, straight across sort of the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, right when it enters the Holy Land there. There's this, this small little mountain range. Mount Carmel is there, and it, it, it looks down on the Mediterranean at about 1800 feet. Elijah's hangout is probably there. Ahab and Jezebel couldn't find him, but he exposes himself. He didn't expose himself. That didn't come out right. He, he going for a synonym of exposes. It's not coming to me. He, he comes out of hiding, and uh, am I bred? Am I embarrassed? Yeah. I don't think I've ever said Elijah the prophet exposes himself. That's a lightning rod so that it, if God brings down lightning, you guys catch it and I don't. But anyway... He, he sort of comes out of this three-year hiding. They would, they would see him somewhere, if you read in the Kings and the Chronicles. Elijah could be spotted somewhere, and the people would go and tell Ahab, and by the time his men got out there, they couldn't find him. So anyway, he comes out of hiding. He reveals himself to Obadiah and says, I want to meet Elijah. And Elijah comes out to him and calls him a troublemaker. And, and Elijah says to Ahab, you're the troublemaker. You and your father and your wife, and your people, and your leadership have led God's people to a point of idolatry that is just making me sick. So here's what we're going to do, Ahab. We're going to meet out, out on Mount Carmel, and you tell the prophets of Baal and Asherah to come and meet me out there. We're going to have a contest. And the people of Israel are going to choose this day who they're going to serve. And if Yahweh reveals himself to be God, then they'll follow him. But if the Baals reveal themselves to be in control, let the people follow them. And Ahab goes, okay. He tells the prophets of Baal, they meet out on Mount Carmel, right near the Mediterranean Sea. And look in uh, verse 19 in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel, Elijah says, to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It was a big table. So word goes out through, uh, through the land, and look at verse 22. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. The people are gathered there. There's, there's a, a few spots, if you look at some pictures on the internet, you can see it, it's a little bit caprocked in certain spots. There's some tears running down to the Valley of Jezreel, which is sort of near the Mediterranean Sea, and the Valley of Megiddo is back, is back to the east and a little south of that. And there's some, there's, some, there's some plains up there in a few spots that you can see in some of the photos on the internet. Anyway, the people are all gathered around. This is the people in the kingdom of Israel. And he says, verse 23, get, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then watch this. Then you prophets of Baal, call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. He sort of backed the prophets of Baal into a corner, didn't he? The people said, sounds good to us. What you say is good, they said. So the prophets of Baal, if you take a look there in the scripture, 
he lets them go first for, for a couple of reasons. So that their whole crazy, uh, just mass, chaotic mess of worship can unfold before the people so the people can go, especially if they've never seen it. This is a little weird. But also to set the table for the evening sacrifice, which was supposed to commence about three o'clock in the afternoon, according to God's laws to the Levites. So the prophets of Baal set up their altar and they set up the sacrifice and they start about nine in the morning and they start going nuts. They're chanting, they're, they're, they're running around in circles, they're, going, they're just going nuts. About noon arrives and nothing's happened and so they start to cut themselves. They start to cut themselves to bleed and no doubt some of them, one of the commentators said, probably bled out because they were so desperate for their false God to do something. And as was their custom in worship, they cut themselves and, and, and still nothing is happening. Now you, you gotta see this. Look at verse 27 of 1 Kings 18, I love this. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps, watch this phrase in the NIV, perhaps he is deep in thought. It's, it's a phrase from ancient Hebrew that really could be better translated. Perhaps he's got field and stream and he's, he's in the back bathroom back there, okay? If you, you, you get the picture. Perhaps he's just, you know, deep in thought. It literally could be translated that way. Or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's traveling, or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Don't you know that the prophets of Baal, would you have liked to have been Elijah right there? I mean, I, I, love, I love a good piece of sarcasm. I, I love it when somebody is just making a fool of themselves and I don't have to say anything. I can just kind of move the spotlight over onto him a little bit. And Elijah is just, just, just taunting them. And, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to me that God let that stay in the word of God, that we could see that. But it happens. You, you see at the end of verse 28, their blood flowed, midday passed. Then watch this in the early afternoon, verse 30. Elijah says to the people, come here to me. Come here to me. We're going to create, according to God's laws, the altar of God. And they set that up. And he had them, watch this, he had them pick 12 stones. Now at this point, at this point, the kingdoms, kingdoms have been divided for a while. For about 40, 60 years probably, maybe a little more. The kingdoms have been divided. The cousins have been separated. But he has them pick 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of God's chosen people. And they build an altar with these 12 stones as the foundation. And then they put the choice bull on top. And then Elijah says, dig a trench around there. Dig a trench around there. And they dig a trench around the altar. And he says, three times he says, soak the sacrifice with water. And they soak the sacrifice and it soaks the bull and it soaks the wood, and it soaks down and fills up the trench around the altar, and it overflows out of that. And watch this. Just as the people have seen the foolishness and the chaos and the taunting of Elijah and the letting of blood, just as the people have seen all of that, they've seen very clearly the altar of God almost in their eyes be desecrated, but they're silent. They trust the prophet at this point. Why is he putting water and soaking this down? And now think about being the prophets of Baal or Asherah again. They're like, don't tell me that our God, not only did he not answer, and we know because he can't, right? He can't, can he? Their God is the devil. And can the devil create anything in God's universal and in our earth's atmosphere? He can't create anything. 
He can only take what God created and pervert it, but God's in control of the wind and the waves and the earthquakes and the fires and everything else. Watch this, and the devil has no power over it. And so the prophets, the false god of, of Baal, they have no power, they're impotent. The people have seen that, and they've seen now this sacrifice and wood and altar and trench be overflowed with water. And then look back at the text at Elijah's prayer. The time of sacrifice, three o'clock in the afternoon. The prophet Elijah steps forward and watch this simple prayer. We do this, preachers, don't we, don't we, pastor? We preach in our prayers sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? We're talking to God, but we're really kind of like sermon number two during the prayer. Now watch, Elijah does it. So it's biblical, right, Pastor Jeff? We take it from Elijah. All right, watch. He steps forward and he prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, watch this. Then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and even the stones and the water and left just a big hole in the ground there. Now imagine you're there. If you have a terrible imagination, then think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember that? Not the one with the little Asian kid. You know, not that one. Cover your heart, Indy, cover your heart. Not that one. That's Temple of Doom, okay? It's the first one. It's the first one where Indiana Jones is tied up to that pole and, you know, the Nazis have the Ark of the Covenant. He tells that girl to close her eyes. Remember? You remember in the movie how Spielberg uh, uh, did it and the fire falls? First, the lid of the, the Ark of the Covenant explodes and the fire falls and consumes all the Nazis. Remember that? Okay, if you have a bad imagination and I got your attention back, uh, that's what happened. Fire fell from heaven and consumed it all. And what do the people do? They're ready now. We don't see a great, a great step of repentance that more, but we see Elijah capitalize on the moment, and he says to the masses of the people, take the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and they're gonna go right down the hill to the river Kishon, to the brook Kishon. They're just gonna go right down the hill, just a little north of where they probably were up on Mount Carmel. They go down to the brook, and the people, watch this, Elijah has the people slaughter the prophets of Baal. And God backed it up. We won't go there today, but he backs it up with a couple of kings and with Elisha. And the ones that may have escaped are finished off in no time in the months and weeks after that. Now, why did I tell you that story? Look at verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then you see the seizing and they go down to the Kishon Valley and slaughter the people. Now watch this. I don't know about you, just be honest. How many of you wish that in your life, in your ministry, you could have an experience on behalf of Yahweh like Elijah? Anybody besides me? It's not arrogance, let's just admit. How many of you would love to have been there? How many of you would choose not to because it'd scare you to death? Go ahead and be honest there too. Anybody? Saw one of you. I got to tell you, if I'm the pastor there, if I'm, if I'm the prophet and that happens to me, I'm going crazy. I'm going, I'm going nuts. I mean, Elijah's been alone for a lot of his public ministry. He's had a servant, but he's been alone a lot of the time. We'll mention that in a minute. But that had to be an incredible, an incredible thing. 
But you know what he does? Instead of reveling in that, instead of letting that powerful moment turn into arrogance, he just continues his ministry and he says to Ahab, guess what, Ahab? It's about to start raining. You saw what God did on the Mount Carmel and I'm about to pray and God's about to answer and it's about to rain. If you want to get out of here before your, your, your wheels of your, your chariot bog down, you better get on now. And he takes off into the valley of Jezreel. He takes off. And then look at verse 46. Verse 46. We're still setting the table, but hang on because we're going to finish quick in a minute. Verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now that's important. We'll mention it in a minute. It's about 25, 26 miles. How many of you run marathons in here? Anybody or half marathons? Come on, you know you want to raise your hand because you have a sticker on your car that says (laughs) 13.2 or 26.4. I always wanted to get one on my truck that says 0.0. Yeah, I always wanted to get one of those, yeah. About a marathon and runs faster than a chariot. So it wasn't a marathon with pace yourself. It was a dead-on sprint. Now hang on to that in in your brain for a second. So he gets down in the valley of Jezreel. Ahab gets there as well. And he says to, uh, Ahab says to Jezebel, uh, Elijah, put your prophets to death. And Jezebel, verse 2 in 1 Kings 19 says, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. She's got nothing to lose there, does she? May the gods deal with me ever so severely. I mean, they, they couldn't answer the fire prayer. They're going to answer, you know, this challenge. If by this time tomorrow, Elijah, I do not make your life like that, of one of them. Verse 3, look at it. 1 Kings 19, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, why would he do that? Why would Elijah, the guy who prayed about a three-sentence prayer, and fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar, sacrificed water, and left a big hole in the ground, why would that Elijah who saw the pinnacle of his ministry in the slaughtering of these ungodly, idolatrous prophets, 850 of them total, why would he then be scared of the queen of the northern kingdom, Israel? That makes no sense to me. And I've preached this several times. This is one of my favorite stories in in the Old Testament with Samson and the whole jawbone of the donkey and all some of those other just classic narratives in the Old Testament. Why would he now be scared? And we see a few verses down where he says to God, just take my life. You know, this week I never thought of it before, but this is what popped into my head and came from the study. You remember in James when it talks about the drought and Elijah praying and God, God after three and a half years brought rain and destroyed the drought. You remember what it said about Elijah? Pastor James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. Sometimes in the church body, you guys think that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Paxton and the rest of us on staff, that we've got this, we've, this great, easy life in the ministry. And it's true, it's great. I mean... Some of you work with some stinkers, and we only work with one or two stinkers on our church staff. And so, and so I'm just kidding. Uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, uh, with the Lord's leadership, has assembled. I've been doing this for 32 years, and this is the most fulfilling, fun, 
and joyous ministry I've ever had in 32 years. And I had some great friends and pastors and some great men and women of God. But I can, can I tell you something? We're men and we're women on our church staff, just like you're men and women. And Elijah could have that great battle with God's power unfolding, almost more powerful than it ever did, except at maybe the crossing of the Red Sea, or obviously at the resurrection. And I think it's because he was a man, just like we are, according to Pastor James in the book of James. Verse 5 in 1 Kings 19, he lays down under a bush and falls asleep. He says, take my life, Lord, I've had enough. He wants to, he wants to die. Watch what God does. Watch what God does. The angel of the Lord at once touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head, verse 6, with some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. Watch this, he learned his lesson. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now watch this. You've been on break now for a little while, but can I say this? Some of you have had a mountaintop experience recently in your life, but for most of us in this room, the last time we had a Mount Carmel type experience was years ago. And a lot of us in this room have made it through another Christmas and another family gathering and another powerful time in the culture of our church and our country, and you're exhausted and you're stressed out. And you're not looking forward to going back to teach next semester. You're not looking forward to going back to work this week. You're not looking forward to another week or another month with, the current, with your spouse. You're not looking forward to your relationships staying the way they're staying. And you feel like a spiritual failure, but can I tell you something? You're just a man or a woman just like Elijah was. Not only did he get spiritually exhausted from that event, but he ran a stinking marathon at a 100-meter pace. He wore himself out. And even the prophet of God, even the pastor of the church at Bushland, and all of us around and in between can get to the point where we're so exhausted that we get depressed and we feel like God just taking us on to heaven. We start quoting scriptures like, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And people around us go, are you giving up? And you go, no, I'm just quoting scripture. God, take my life, Elijah said. He was physically and spiritually and relationally exhausted even after a mountaintop experience. And let me, let me give you a couple of things as we finish up. The first is this. This comes from Craig Rochelle. It's on a totally different message. It's worth, it's worth Googling. But listen to this. You may enjoy God on the mountaintops, and we do. I've got some experiences in my life on a mountaintop that were just incredible. Craig Rochelle said this, you may enjoy God on the mountaintop, but you get to know him intimately in the valley. How many of you can identify and testify with that? We think the best part of this narrative was up on Mount Carmel, and it was pretty incredible. But Elijah meets God on that mountaintop. He meets God down in the valley. He takes another journey to the mountain of God. And we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. The second thing is this. The second truth is this. Your deepest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Now, let's face it. The third, the third truth is this. Let me just throw ahead and out there. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you do can do 
is not go to a mountaintop retreat. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is not go to the Gateway Conference in October or, or, or to, to a Ridgecrest, North Carolina to a marriage retreat or to Glorietta. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is not set up a series of counseling appointments with, one, with our senior pastor or one of us. Or by the way, we have a side note. We've, we, Chris Green is a professional counselor in our church and we recommend people to him for everything you can imagine. If they don't want to talk to our pastor or one of us on staff, Chris steps in for us. And he, he deals with, with teenage young men having difficulties with computers and phones and all the immorality that's out there. He deals with grief counseling and marriage counseling and everything else. And he's great. And we'll recommend you to, to, to any of us that can help you with biblical cheerleading, biblical counsel, or with the professional. But watch this. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and get some rest. Did you catch that from Elijah? You caught the first part, did you catch the end? He needed to rest. He wanted to die. He rested. God fed him. He rested again. God fed him. He rested again. And did you notice the 40 days and nights journey to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God? That's a 20-day journey. Watch this. He learned his lesson. He didn't run at a 100-meter pace for a marathon distance. He took a 20-day journey. Watch this in 40 days. 40 days. He learned his lesson. His deepest need had driven him to depend on God. Aaron, we're going to skip that, by the way. His deepest need had driven him to depend on God to a point that, watch this too. Do you remember that part? Look, at, look down at 1 Kings 19. God says to him at the end of verse 9 in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for Yahweh God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for, for Yahweh is about to pass by. Then a great, watch this, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord Yahweh was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. Watch this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, God's in control of the elements. Have you ever noticed how often we want him to speak in the, in the earthquake or in, 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 the, in the fire, in the crazy, like, fire from heaven stuff or in, in a hurricane-strength wind? You ever notice we want that? And yet God chose to speak in a gentle whisper. My wife listened to these messages, and that's the main reason that I mentioned some of this stuff because I've been married for almost 28 years, and she told me to. And so, you know, the comedian Ralphie May said that you can either be right or you can be happy in marriage, but you can't be both. And so, Watch this. Why did God speak in a whisper? Because he was close enough all the time to speak in a whisper, wasn't he? He didn't need to shout from heaven with a booming voice like some movie portrayal of God. He didn't need to shout from the Mediterranean as the rain moved in, although he could have done those things. But he was there all along with Elijah, wasn't he? And you whisper, you only shout when you have to shout. He was close enough to whisper to Elijah. And Elijah, in the midst of that powerful narrative, he just forgot that. 
So as we finish this morning, can I tell you something? As we finish up this morning, you and I have to get to a point where we intentionally do the little things that God wired us as mind, body, and spirit, as physical, as spiritual, as relational beings, as emotional beings. We have to do the simple things that put us in a position to rely on his power so he can do the big things. Are you with me? You cannot, when this new semester starts back, teachers, when this new calendar year starts back, businessmen and women, when this, when this new week starts back Tuesday for us, you cannot, most of us in this room, cannot go back and keep doing things the way we were doing them and expect different results. As pastors mentioned before, that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. It's not spiritually, physically, or psychologically possible. And we have counseling if you need it. Don't get me wrong. But why don't you try resting and eating and relating in such a way that the little simple things that you actually have control over, that you put yourself in a position to live in the way that God intended you to live? If you keep sitting up at night laying on the couch or even on your own bed doing this on Facebook for minutes or hours on end, is that, is that going to help you be a better you in 2018? If you keep saying you're going to get up and work out in the morning if you're a morning person or stay up that night and work out if you're a night person, but you're doing things in, a such, in such a way that make you too exhausted to be able to do that, are you doing things the right way? Listen, God will probably not bring fire from heaven in your life and ministry until you do the little things that he created you to do in your life on a daily, consistent basis. So here's what you got to do. You ready? Real simple, and I'll pray and we're done. You have to divert daily. Divert daily. Something, a diversion from your life and your family and your normal thing, you have to divert daily. You ready for the next one? It's simple to remember too. You've got to withdraw weekly at a whole nother level. Withdraw weekly at a whole nother level. If you're married and you're not on a significant date with just you and your wife once a week, it ain't rocket science. Withdraw weekly. And you need to significantly, I think, two or three times a year as well, abandon annually. All right? Abandon annually. And here's this from my wife as well. You ready, ladies? She says it's a requirement to manicure monthly as well. All right? So far from heaven or a good nap, take your pick from Elijah today based on what you need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this powerful narrative. What an incredible thing to see the, the, the power of Almighty God in the ministry of Elijah as, Father, you defeated through his ministry 850 ungodly idol prophets. But God, we thank you that you were just as powerful in that whisper and just as powerful in those naps as you were in that battle on Mount Carmel. And Father, we pray that whether our sin is not believing in your miraculous power or our sin is not taking advantage of good rest, we pray, God, that we would follow the example of this narrative as well and fall prostrate on our faces before Yahweh the Almighty.
and say, God, we've sinned in our schedules. We've sinned in our free time. We've sinned in our commitments. And God, we want to get right with you. For your glory, Father, we want to get right with you. But God, we want to get right with you for your simple blessings in our lives. God, do a work in us as we finish 2017 so that you can do a work through us as we enter 2018. And God, like the people on Mount Carmel, we will say Yahweh is God and we intend to live for you every day of this new year that's before us. For your glory and for your blessings in our lives, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram, by using the Church at Bushland, and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland. 